Chapter thirty four of the Life and Adventures of James P. Beckworth by Thomas D. Bonner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Ullman. Chapter thirty four Affairs at Santa Fe. Insurrection at Taos. Discovery of the Plot. Battle at the Canyon. Battles at Lambeden. At Pueblo and at Taos. A Mexican woman redeemed from the Indians. Returned to Santa Fe. On my arrival at Santa Fe, I found affairs in a very disturbed state. Colonel Donifan had just gained the Battle of Brazito and was carrying all before him in that section of the country. He had forwarded orders to Santa Fe for a field battery in order to make a demonstration against Chihuahua. Major Clark was entrusted with the duty of conveying the artillery to the colonel. Scarcely had he departed when we received intelligence of an insurrection in Taos. The information was first communicated by an Indian from a village between Santa Fe and Taos, who reported to General Price that the Mexicans had massacred all the white inhabitants of that place, and that a similar massacre was contemplated in Santa Fe, of which report full information could be obtained by the arrest of a Mexican who was then conveying a letter from the priest in Taos to the priest in Santa Fe. A watch was immediately set upon the priest's house, and a Mexican was seen to enter. The guard approached the door to arrest the man as he issued, but he, being apprised of the action of the authorities, left the house by another door and escaped. At night there came a violent rapping at my gate, and on going to open it I perceived my friend Charles Town, who, on being admitted, clasped me round the neck and gave vent to uncontrolled emotion. Perceiving that something alarming had occurred, I invited him into the house, spread refreshments before him, and allowed him time to recover himself. He then informed me that he had escaped almost by a miracle from Taos, where all the American residents had been killed. He was a resident there, having married a girl of New Mexico, and his wife's father had apprised him that he had better effect his escape, if possible, for if he was caught he would be inevitably massacred. His father-in-law provided him with a good horse, and he retreated into the woods where, after considerable risk and anxiety, he provincially eluded the assassins. On receiving this alarming information, I lost no time in repairing to the headquarters of General Price, accompanied by my informant, who related the above particulars. General Price immediately adopted the most effective measures. He assembled his officers and instructed them to set a close watch upon the house of every Mexican in the city and to suffer no person to pass in or out he also ordered that every american should hold himself in readiness for service during the night before morning several of the most influential mexican citizens were placed under arrest in searching them important conspiracies were brought to light correspondence implicating the most considerable residents were read and a plot was detected of subjecting santa fe to the same St. Bartholomew Massacre, as had just been visited upon Taos. The city was placed under martial law, and every American that could shoulder a musket was called into immediate service. 
all the ox drivers mule drivers merchants clerks and commissariat men were formed into ranks and file and placed in a condition for holding the city then placing himself at the head of his army four hundred strong general price marched towards taos on arriving at canjara a small town about twenty miles from santa fe we found the enemy numbering two thousand mexicans and indians were prepared to give us battle the enemy's lines were first perceived by our advance guard which instantly fell back upon the main body our line was formed and an advance made upon the enemy the mountaineer company under captain savarine being placed in charge of the baggage as soon as battle was begun however we left the baggage and ammunition wagons take care of themselves and made a descent upon the foe he fled precipitately before the charge of our lines and we encamped upon the field of battle next day we advanced to lamboda where the enemy made another stand and again fled on our approach we marched on until we arrived at taos and the barbarities we witnessed there exceeded in brutality all my previous experience with the indians bodies of our murdered fellow-countrymen were lying about the streets mutilated and disfigured in every possible way and the hogs and dogs were making a repast upon the remains among the dead we recognized that of governor bent who had been recently appointed by general carney one poor victim we saw who had been stripped naked scalped alive and his eyes punched out he was groping his way through the streets beseeching someone to shoot him out of his misery while his inhuman mexican tormentors were deriving the greatest amusement from the exhibition such scenes of unexampled barbarity filled our soldiers breasts with abhorrence they became tiger-like in their craving for revenge our general directed the desecrated remains to be gathered together and a guard placed over them while he marched on with his army in pursuit of the barbarians late in the afternoon we arrived in pueblo where we found the enemy well posted having an adobe fort in their front no attack was attempted that evening and strict orders were issued for no man to venture out of the camp in the evening i was visited by a man who informed me that he had a brother at rio mondo twelve miles distance whom if he was not already killed he wished to save from massacre i determined to rescue him if possible and having induced seven other good and trusty mountaineers to aid me in the attempt we left the camp unperceived and proceeded to the place indicated on our arrival we found two or three hundred mexicans all well armed we rode boldly past them and they dispersed many of them going to their homes we reached the door of the mexican general montajas who styled himself the santa anna of the north and captured him we then liberated the prisoner we were in quest of and returned to taos with our captive general at taos we found our forces which had retired upon that place from pueblo after having made an unsuccessful attempt to dislodge the enemy we informed our general of our important capture and he affected great displeasure at our disobedience of orders although it was easy to see that in his eyes the end had justified the means the following morning a gallows was erected 
and Montaja was swung in the wind. The correspondence that had been seized in Santa Fe had implicated him in some of the blackest plots, and we thought that this summary disposal of his generalship would relieve us from all further dangers from his machinations. Having procured artillery to bombard the enemy's position, our commander returned to Pueblo. We cannonaded in good earnest, but the pieces were too small to be of much service. But we cut a breach with our axes halfway through the six-foot wall, and then finished the work with our cannon. While engaged in this novel way of getting at the enemy, a shell was thrown from a mortar at the fort, but our artillerymen, not being very skillful, in their practice threw the shell outside the fort and it fell among us a young lieutenant seized it in his hands and cast it through the breach it had not more than struck before it exploded doing considerable damage in the fort we then stormed the breach which was only big enough to admit one man at a time and carried the place without difficulty the company of mountaineers had fallen back midway between the fort and mountain in order to pick off any Mexican who should dare to show himself. We killed fifty-four of the defenders as they were endeavoring to escape. Upon the person of one of whom, an officer, we found one hundred and sixty doubloons. Some of the enemy fired upon us from a position at one corner of the fort through loopholes and while looking about for a covert to get a secure shot at them we discovered a few of the enemy hidden away in the brush one of them an indian ran towards us exclaiming bueno bueno me like americanos one of the party said if you like the americans take the sword and return to the brush and kill all the men you find there he took the bro off its sword and was busy in the brush for a few minutes and then returned with his sword blade dripping with gore saying i have killed them then you ought to die for killing your own people said the american and he shot the indian dead the battle lasted through the whole day and a close watch was set at night to prevent the escape of those yet occupying the fort the assault was renewed the following morning and continued during the day also towards night several white flags were raised by the enemy but were immediately shot down by the americans who had determined to show no quarter on the third morning all the women issued from the fort each bearing a white flag and kneeled before the general to supplicate for the lives of their surviving friends the general was prevailed upon and gave orders to cease fire the enemy lost severely through their disgraceful cowardice our company lost but one man through the whole engagement nine of the most prominent conspirators were hanged at taos and seven or eight more at santa fe it was about this time that the report reached us of the butchery of mr waldo with eight or ten other americans at the morrow after the insurrection was suppressed i started again for fort leavenworth on my way back from the fort i again fell in with black shield and his apaches i said to him you told me false you said you would meet me at eagle's nest but when i went there you were not to be found i had to throw the powder away that i brought for you and run for my life for the whites discovered by errand and were close at my heels i know it my friend said black shield we saw your kegs there 
but the whites had taken all the powder out. I am sorry they came upon you so suddenly, for we had to run as well as you. The second day after we left the Apaches, we discovered an object in the distance which I at first looked for a stump, but still thought it singular that there should be a stump where there were no trees near. As we approached, the object moved, and we at length discovered it to be a man of the name of Elliot Lee who had been wounded by the Apaches three or four days previously, and had not tasted food since. He had belonged to a party of seventeen or eighteen mountaineers. On their way to Santa Fe, they had stopped to rest at the bank of a creek and were suddenly set upon by the Indians. Several of the party were killed, among whom was my friend Charles Town, and all the rest were more or less severely wounded. Some few had succeeded in getting away, notwithstanding their wounds, but Mr. Lee had been shot in the thigh and was unable to crawl along. When we picked him up, he was delirious, and his wound was greatly swollen and inflamed. We gave him food, carried him along with us, until we fortunately came up with his wagons. We then gave him into the keeping of his friends and proceeded on our way. On my arrival home, I disposed of all my property in Santa Fe and started to buy horses of the Indians to dispose of to the discharged troops. I had arrived within a short distance of my ranch when I met a man who advised me to conceal myself. Two rewards had been offered for my apprehension, one of $1,000 by Colonel Price and another of $500 by Mr. Kissack, quartermaster. I was accused of confederating with rebels and Indians and assisting them in stealing horses from the whites and leading the hostile bands in their warfare upon the American troops. I listened to his information and was astonished at the invention. This is news indeed, I said, but they shall not have the profit all to themselves. I would immediately go and deliver myself up and obtain the rewards. I advise you as a friend not to go, rejoined my interlocker, for they will assuredly hang you directly they lay hands upon you. Well, hang or not hang, I answered, I am resolved to go, for I have not been a month absent from Santa Fe, and I can give an account of every day and night I have since spent. At the time I met with my informant, I had an order from Captain Morris of the United States Army in my pocket authorizing me to pick up all the government horses that I might find in my rambles and bring them in. But up to the time that I was informed of the charges against me, I had found but one horse, the property of Captain Severine, and it I had restored to the owner. Accordingly, I returned without delay to Taos, where I saw Colonel Willock, who was lieutenant under Colonel Price, him I acquainted with my determination to proceed to Santa Fe to deliver myself up for the rewards that were offered for my apprehension, but he urgently requested me not to go. He was about to start with an expedition against the Apaches and wished to engage me as spy, interpreter, and guide. He promised to forward an exculpatory letter to Santa Fe that should set me all right with the authorities. The letter was sent, but not delivered, as the messenger was shot on the way. I concluded to accompany the colonel and aid him to the extent of my ability in the object of his expedition. We started with a small battalion of volunteers for the Apaches, 
The first day in camp the common soldier fare was spread for dinner, which at that time I felt but little appetite for. I informed the colonel that I would go out and kill an antelope. Why, said he, there is not an antelope within ten miles around here. The soldiers have scoured the whole country without seeing one. I told him I felt sure I could find one and took up my rifle and was about to start. Hold on, cried the colonel. I will go with you and will further engage to pack on my back all you kill. We started and kept on the road for about a half a mile when I discovered the tracks of three antelopes which had just crossed our path and gone in the direction of a hill close by. The colonel did not see the tracks, and I did not point them out to him. We passed on a few rods further when I suddenly stopped, threw my head back, and began to sniff like a dog, scenting his prey. What the dickens are you sniffing so for? asked the colonel. I am sure that I smell an antelope, said I. You smell antelope? And the colonel's nostrils began to dilate. I can smell nothing. Well, Colonel, I said, there are antelopes close by, I know, for my smellers never yet deceive me, and now, added I, if you will start carefully up that hollow, I will go up on the other side, and I am confident that one of us will kill one. I knew that if the animals were in the hollow, they would start at the approach of the Colonel, and most probably in my direction, and thus afforded me an opportunity of getting a shot at one. I proceeded cautiously along until, raising my head over an knoll, I saw the three antelopes which had crossed us. Two had already lain down, and a third was preparing to do so, when I sent a leaden messenger which brought him down involuntarily. The colonel shouted to inquire what I had shot at. Antelope, I answered, and he came running at his best speed. There was the very beast, beyond all dispute, to the other astonishment of the colonel, who regarded for some moments first the game and then the hunter. And you smelled them? He pondered. Well, I must confess, your olfactory nerves beat those of any man I've ever yet fell in with. Smell antelope. <laughs> I will send my boy to carry him in. But that was not the bargain, colonel, I said. You engaged to pack in on your back all I should cull. This is your burden. The distance is but short. But the colonel declined his engagement. We finally hung the antelope on a tree, and the colonel, on our return to camp, dispatched his servant to fetch it in. He never could get over my smelling antelope, and we have had as many a hearty laugh at it since. The following morning, at daylight, I took five or six men with me and proceeded on my duty as spy. When the colonel moved on with the troops, we re we, returning to camp every evening at dusk, we frequently saw signs of Indians, but we could make no discovery of the Indians themselves. We continued our chase for nearly a month. Our coffee and sugar had given out, and our provisions were getting low. The soldiers could kill no game, and there was a general disposition, especially among the officers, to return. In leaving the camp, as usual, one morning, I directed the colonel to a camping ground and started on my search. Late in the afternoon, I discovered what I supposed to be a large party of Indians moving in our direction. I ran with all possible speed to communicate the information, but in ascending a small point of land which was in my way, I found a strange encampment of United States troops lying before me. I knew it was not Colonel Willock's command, for these 
had tents wagons and other appointments which we were unprovided with when i was first perceived some of the men pointed me out to their companions there's beckwith there's jim beckwith i heard whispered around i found it was a detachment commanded by colonel edmondson who had just returned from santa fe with a reinforcement having been defeated in an engagement with the apaches some time previously when the colonel saw me he inquired of my errand i have come after horses i replied in plestamont but i see you have none beckworth said captain donahue i have been defending your character for a long time and now i want you to clear up matters for yourself i found i was not in very good savior among the parties present owing to a mistake in my identity made by one of the soldiers during their late engagement with the indians it was supposed i had entered their camp hurled my lamp through a soldier and challenged another out to fight telling him he was paid for fighting and it was his duty to engage me this suspicion added to flying reports of evil doing which derived their original in the crow village from my adventure with fitzpatrick had associated me in the soldier's mind with all the horse raids and white massacres they heard rumors of and i was regarded by them all as a desperate lawless character who deserved hanging to the first tree wherever met at this moment two men came running towards the camp at full speed shouting to arms to arms as though the whole apache nation was behind them where is your party asked colonel edmondson of me coming yonder sir i replied pointing in the direction of the two approaching heralds for i suppose it was colonel willock's command they had seen and whom in their fright they had mistaken for indians immediately there was a bustle of preparations to receive the coming foe muskets were snatched up and the men fell into line but in a few moments the real character of the approaching company was ascertained and the colonel advanced to greet them at the junction of the two parties both engaged on the same errand matters were discussed by the two colonels and it was resolved to abandon the expedition for it was manifest that the indians were too much on the alert to be taken i was dispatched to santa fe with a letter to colonel price from colonels edmondson and willock while they resolved to march back with their detachments colonel edmondson to santa fe and colonel willock to taos the morning following i again set out for fort leavenworth having for companion mcintosh who by the way was a cherokee and known as such to the indians whom we fell in with on the road we reached the fort without any accident and delivered our dispatches safe on our return we overtook bullard and company's trains of wagons which were on their way to santa fe with supplies for the army bullard and his partner proposed to leave their charge and go in with us if i thought we would be able to keep up with them i answered that we would try and keep their company as far as possible but that they would be at liberty to proceed at any time that they considered we retarded them they went with us as far as the moro two days ride from santa fe where we were compelled to leave them as they tired out and had already detained us two full days my next engagement in the service of uncle sam was a trip to chihuahua to convey dispatches but 
Previous to starting, Captain Morris wished to engage me as a guide in an expedition against the Utah Indians. So, preferring the latter service, I transferred my trust to my brave and faithful friend, McIntosh, and accompanied Captain Morris. The expedition consisted of 90 men. The object was a treaty of peace with the Utahs. We succeeded in finding the Indians, but as they supposed our only object was to fight, it was some time before we could get up to them. We at length surprised them in a gap in the mountains when we succeeded in taking a number of prisoners, among whom were some chiefs. We explained our object. They then frankly informed us where the village was. We all repaired to it and concluded terms of peace. Our approach greatly alarmed the village at first, but they knew that, in conjunction with the Apaches, they had been guilty of many depredations, although it had been their policy to throw all the blame of the mischief upon their allies. Our mission performed, we returned to Taos. I remained some weeks inactive. Taos was convulsed with continual alarms for reports that Cortez was approaching against us with a great force. The troops were all the way at Santa Fe, though, had he visited us, we could have improvised a warm reception. We had a small piece of cannon with plenty of grape and canister with which we could have swept the streets. We tried its effect one day just to satisfy the curiosity of the Mexicans. We put in a heavy charge of grape shot and discharged it down the street. The tawny Mexicans were wonder-stricken. They thought an army would stand but a poor chance before such a volcanic belching of iron missiles. Poultry in the vicinity of Taos became exceedingly scarce. It was a rare matter to hear a cock crow. When we did by chance hear the pleasing sound, we would listen for the repetition of it in order to learn from which direction it proceeded. We would then visit the telltale's quarters after dark as we could obtain our poultry cheaper at night than in the daytime. Orders had been issued to take nothing from the enemy without paying for it, which orders were evidently based upon the assumption that we had money to pay with. Those without money did not feel themselves bound by the injunction. The authorities that issue similar commands in future would do well to insert some clause binding on the moneyless, otherwise these orders are all moonshine. From Taos, I proceeded to Santa Fe. I again started for the last time to Fort Leavenworth, McIntosh having safely returned from Chihuahua, again accompanying me. When we arrived at the wagon mound, we heard shots fired, and immediately after met a train of mule teams approaching at their quickest pace. The drivers advised us to return as they had been attacked by the Apaches, and if we proceeded, we could not escape being killed. I thought that my companion and I knew the Indians better than the mule drivers did, and we bade them goodbye and started on. We intended to avoid the Indians by making a circuit away from where we expected they would be, but in so doing, we came directly upon the village. We stayed all night with them, were well treated, and resumed our journeys in the morning. We met a party of Americans who had been attacked by the Comanches and lost one horse, but we saw no more Indians until we reached the fort. Many times wonder has been expressed how I could always travel the road in safety while other men were attacked and killed. The only way in which I could account for the marvel was that I knew how to act 
the wolf, while the others did not. Of all the dispatches I had ever carried, I never lost one, while numbers who have undertaken to bear them lost, not alone the dispatches, but their lives, for whenever they fell in with the Indians, they were sure to be killed. The Indians knew perfectly well what my business was. They knew that I was conveying orders backwards and forwards from the great white chief to his war chiefs in New Mexico. They would frequently ask me what the orders were which I had with me. Sometimes I would tell them that the great chief of Washington was going to send on a great host of warriors to rub them all out. They would laugh heartily at the supposition, for they conceived that all American forces combined would hardly be a circumstance before them. I promised to apprise them when the white warriors were to advance against them, which promise they confidently relied upon. I had to say something to keep on good terms with them and answer their inquiries to satisfy them, and then proceed with my business. The war between the great white chief and the great Mexican chief interested the Indians but little though their conviction was that the mexican chief would be victorious their sympathy was with the latter from motives of self-interest they were now able to go at any time and drive home all the horses cattle and sheep that they wanted together with mexican children enough to take care of them if the white chief conquered they supposed he would carry all the horses cattle and sheep home with them and thus leave none for them the Comanches and the Apaches had a great number of Mexicans, of both sexes among them, who seldom manifest much desire to return home. The women say that the Indians treat them better than they are treated at home. I never met but one exception to this rule, and that was a young Mexican woman captive among the Comanches. She told me that her father was wealthy and would give me $5,000 if I could procure her restoration. I bought her of the chief and conveyed her to my fort, whence I sent information to her father to acquaint him where he could find his daughter. In a few days her father and her husband came to her. She refused to have anything to say to her husband, for she said he was a coward. When the Indians attacked the village, he mounted his horse and fled, leaving her to their mercy. Her father pro-offered me the promised sum, but I only accepted $1,000, which returned me a good profit on the cost of the goods I had given to the Indians for a ransom. The woman returned home with her father, her valorous husband following her. Shortly after this, I returned to Santa Fe. End of chapter 34